Our Father, we are reminded that you are the one who is sovereign, not we ourselves. In fact, our powers are only real in the sphere of your great plan and your work. So, Father, I thank you that you've blessed us with countless blessings in our Lord Jesus Christ, many of which have been totally provided, others which are promised still. Considering our heavenly inheritance, we're looking forward to that so much. We're not citizens here, uh, but citizens there, as it were. And yet, Father, there are many trials and concerns here, too. But we do thank you for pouring your great blessings out upon us and also upon our nation. Father, I pray for our president and uh, those that, that honorably serve wherever that may may be in government or apart from government, those that honorably serve. There are many obstacles and you enable them to overcome them every day. So, Father, I pray that they would be encouraged and protected. There are many, many challenges. Uh, It seems like we're in a very uh, difficult time, a very dark time indeed here in this nation, but certainly that's true around the world and has been for a very long, very, very long time. But there are lights in the darkness. I'm so thankful for that, Father. Thank you for encouraging us this last week in some ways, even regarding uh, our government and the prospect that we have and will have concerning your deliverance for our people here. Uh, The awakening, as it's been called just now, uh, and, uh, Father, I pray that that would occur, that, that many would realize they have been on the wrong side of, of many issues, certainly in life, certainly regarding their faith, and certainly regarding their hopes for government. Father, I pray that you would reestablish many hearts and bring others for the first time to understand your truth and how that directly impacts our nation for for truly the church of the living God is the light of the world and certainly here as well in our country. Father, I pray that you bring many back to yourself and others. um, May they be enabled, have the blindness removed and enabled to enter into the glorious light of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, um, I I just thank you that uh, we have confidence in you. Um, We're so concerned for the young ones, Father, and uh, the new school year beginning. Please help them to work through these difficult times and be a blessing to them. I pray, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. And Father, I'd ask that you'd open our hearts now to your word. Amen. Okay, let's uh, let's begin. This is Prisoners of Hope, Part Three. Prisoners of Hope, Part Three. And well, we've seen uh, as we've considered sort of a, sort of a mini mini uh, series here on how God has worked through women down through generations and down through uh, centuries upon centuries, right, of sacred history. Many, many were prisoners of hope. We got that expression out of uh, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9 and verse 12. Actually, 
Zechariah's writing very much about circumstances that we've been considering here on Sunday mornings. So uh, it's interesting he uses those words, prisoners of hope. The developing theme here has been that God faithfully accomplishes his great purpose and he fulfills his promises even against uh, overwhelming odds. Many times the enemy, Satan, of course, being chief enemy, uh, has seemed to prosper so greatly against the working of God, and yet God came through and always will, of course, in the end, right? We've seen more recently how through Rahab and then Ruth and then Hannah, and then finally last time uh, also a woman largely unknown to believers, but we should know much about her, her name Yahashaba, <laughs> how God furthered through these women his will concerning the promise given in Genesis uh, concerning the seed of the woman, right? How ultimately it would be through the seed of the woman, through childbearing, that this would this promise of blessing, even though Adam had sinned and brought the whole human race into sin, that this that this uh, uh, blessing would be accomplished ultimately, of course, through the the singular seed of the woman, Christ himself, right? Israel's Messiah. But also, of course, through the family, the family of Abraham, the family of, um, of his uh, grandson Jacob, who brought forth 12 sons and then through them 12 tribes and, and uh, an entire nation was created. And, and then how uh, God delivered that nation first to protect them into Egypt and later uh, to deliver them from slavery from Egypt ultimately into the promised land. And, and we saw how God raised up uh, a, a Gentile woman named Rahab and uh, through the marriage of Rahab and, and Salmon, uh, a son was brought forth named Boaz <laughs> and how God raised up uh, another Gentile woman named Ruth and through Ruth and Boaz's marriage a child was born and then another and we come to David in due time right King David of course all of these are in the direct royal line to Messiah right so God raised up uh, through women, godly women, um, he raised up uh, those that would honor him, even if they were brought in from among the Gentiles, uh, to worship the Lord God, Jehovah, and uh, to faithfully live a life that would honor and please um, him. Uh, and as they did that, they brought forth additional children and more generations to further the hope <laughs> and to communicate that they were indeed all prisoners of this great hope. Okay. Now, interestingly, um, one thing I didn't show you, uh, when Eve rebelled against her husband, and that was what she did, she did rebel against God, but she rebelled against her husband as well. And when she did that, 
she uh, she found herself under a judgment, and that was her conceptions would be multiplied, and the stress and and trial of childbearing would be so great, right? And indeed it was, but there was a hope also offered to her. And uh, it's interesting. Um, if you if you read in Genesis chapter four, verse one, I'm just going to read that verse because I I believe we didn't read it before, but you'll see that how this hope uh, was very much part of her heart response to God at that time. It says Adam knew Eva's wife. This is chapter four, verse one of Genesis, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man, the Lord. And that's the Lord Jehovah. It's uh, the, the name of uh, <laughs> Redeemer God, the Lord Jehovah, right? She actually thought that perhaps the first son born had fulfilled the promise. And I think it's quite remarkable. So <laughs> starting with Eve, with the very first birth, there of Cain in this case, um, she thought she had received the fulfillment of the promise. So what was the hope on her heart? It was uh, exactly the hope of the seed that uh, had been promised, right? That would be the deliverer. Okay, so I thought you might like to see that. Um, last time we considered specifically Hannah, that was our major focus at least. Today we go to a person, be the last one in the uh, in the Old Testament that we consider uh, before we get to New Testament women, and that would include Elizabeth and Mary and others. But the last one we will look at in the Old Testament is Esther. And that's a remarkable story indeed. It's so remarkable that it's really, for me at least, again, having the privilege of looking carefully at the scripture set before us, it's just really quite overwhelming, really, to consider. Uh, when we looked at the story of Rahab and then the sacred history regarding Ruth, Naomi and Ruth, and then Hannah, and Samuel and so forth, and then others there later, we, we saw that God worked in hearts, sometimes of unbelievers, right? But he worked in hearts to accomplish his great purpose. And all along, even though Satan's not omniscient, he is watching very, very carefully because there's nothing more on the forefront of Satan's mind in those years, nothing more than the promise God has given concerning the seed of the woman, of course, right? Because that's going to be used according to God's promise to Satan to defeat him, right? So his focus has to be to thwart the plan of God, and that would be to interfere with the bringing forth of the seed. So he's watching very, very, very carefully and, uh, doing everything within his power, and he is the prince of this world, so he has great power, doing everything within his power to uh, prevent God from carrying out his plan through the seed of the woman. <clears throat> okay, so um, we get now to what's a far more complex 
<laughs> series of events than anything we've considered before. You read the book of Esther, it's uh, quite a few chapters, and it is full of details. And it's incredible, really, to me how many details there are given there and how God works each step of the way in hearts. He works through hearts of believers. He works through hearts of unbelievers to accomplish his great purpose. And the story uh, all told is really uh, in some ways, it's, <laughs> yes, I'd have to say, in some ways it's one of the greatest historical um, periods in history, uh, all focused ultimately on a woman, a humble woman named Esther. Our outline seven parts long. <laughs> How can we possibly cover seven parts? I don't know. Uh, the first is, God used women to promote his working through the promised seed. That's going to be a quick review of what we've already seen. Secondly, God used even unbelievers to further his redemptive plan. Uh, that's where the stage will be set for these great events uh, to be worked out through Esther, right? God used even unbelievers. Uh, then God chooses Mordecai and Esther to save the national and royal line. We saw how the royal line was saved before through Yahashiba, right? Uh, when there was only one remaining uh, son in the royal line and uh, uh, others had been all destroyed but uh, the, the wife of the high priest uh, is uh, raised up to save the one remaining well here God's going to cho choose a man named Mordecai and his niece his orphaned niece Esther um, to save the national and the royal line. Then fourthly, the victory is the Lord's and Satan's plot is defeated. <laughs> and that will be through a, a man named Haman, but Haman will be destroyed in the end. Fifthly, God reigns supreme, protecting his ongoing promises regarding Israel as a nation. God reigns supreme. Sixthly, God uses the humble and the weak to bring to nothing the mighty. And uh, then finally, and this is in some ways the most remarkable of all, maybe, but if there is anything more amazing than the rest, God's work in support of his promises is glorious indeed. Okay, firstly, God used women to promote his working through the promised seed. Okay, and... Uh, just one thing there. You know the story very well. We've looked at it carefully, the story of Rahab, the story of Ruth, uh, and the story of Hannah and uh, Yehoshua. But uh, <clears throat> let me just read this. The last words in the book of Ruth summarize that whole period there of the judges, the whole period. Now, these are the generations of Pharez, Remember, Pharez was brought forth from Judah, 
one of the 12 sons of, of um, Jacob. And this was through a, a very untimely union with a woman named Tamar. But uh, Pharaoh was brought forth. Pharaoh begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. And Ram begat Aminadab. And Aminadab begat Nashon. And Nashon begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David. Okay. So all the pieces fell into place through a long period of time, through the working of the Lord God in the hearts of many to accomplish his purpose, right? There were many obstacles along the way, but through the, through the women who had the hope <laughs> that was needed, uh, God accomplished his great purposes using them. They were right on center stage, right? Um, you remember Esther's great song, and she just says, I'll just read one verse. 1 Samuel 2, 8. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. That was Hannah's great testimony, indeed. She was one of them, right? The poor of the dust, the beggar from the dunghill, was set among princes to make them inherit the throne of glory. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. Who are the pillars of the earth? God's people. Right. Okay, that brings us then down to where I want to introduce us to the further work of God. And uh, but but Patty, um, I, I just want you to read those those few verses quickly there, just to see that God had saved the royal seed even under totally impossible circumstances there. So. Second Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 and verse 21. Okay, Patty. And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons, which were slain, and they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. And he was with her, hid in the house of the Lord, six years. And Athaliah did reign over the land. In verse 21. Seven years old was Jehoash, when he began to reign. Okay, so there we see that uh, in the most hopeless situation of all, where all of the royal uh, sons had been eliminated, she thought all indeed, but it turns out there was one 
remaining. She was a little unsure of how many sons had been born, obviously, right? And uh, she had failed to deliver this infant son, right? But he was saved and at seven years old was crowned king, right? And therefore, the royal line continued through him. Well, if God can do that, if he can prevent Satan uh, from accomplishing his purpose that way, he can certainly do what he did through Esther. Okay, let's quickly look at that. What did he do through Esther? Okay, uh, well, now the children of Israel have been carried off into bondage. You remember how they were carried off? Uh, the southern kingdom carried off into Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had uh, begun to rule the world, as it were, at least much of it. And uh, he had uh, defeated the, uh, the Israelites and carried off uh, multiple waves of them. Uh, Daniel and some of his uh, associates very early, and then later more and more, and finally uh, the vast uh, uh, number of them were carried off into bondage in Babylon. In Babylon. But in due time, Persia reigns supreme over uh, Babylon. And uh, Persia now becomes the ruling force in the world. And the story we're looking at now takes place when Persia is in control. And this is some decades later, uh, after uh, the times that uh, uh, we considered earlier when we looked at the long war against God and saw all of this uh, developing in great detail. Uh, so Persia is uh, the reigning power. The king, Ahasuerus, uh, comes into a bit of a sort of, what would we call it, um, a marriage problem, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, his wife, named Vashti, has decided to rebel against her husband. And uh, he calls her forth to come into his presence and she refuses to come. And this is very public. It's a public situation uh, indeed. And it's interesting um, in that Ahasuerus considers his wife's uh, rebellion to be so significant and potentially such a problem in the kingdom because now uh, the win women are not going to be uh, willing to submit to their husband's authority. <laughs> They'll consider the queen's example to be uh, sufficient for that, right? And so he actually rejects his wife and banishes her due to her rebellion. Uh, Roy, would you read uh, about this circumstance uh, uh, there in Esther chapter 1, verse 17. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad all women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes when it shall be reported. The king commanded the queen to be brought before him, but she would not come. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Thank you, Roy. So uh, that's the circumstance. And the king 
banishes his wife as a result of her disobedience, her failure to obey his command. It's interesting, isn't it, how this ties in ultimately to the whole issue. What had brought about Eve's rebellion, well, she turned against her husband's rule and also against the Lord God and partook of the fruit, right? Uh, and that led to many other things. And, and of course, uh, the judgment came upon her because of that, right? Paul goes back to Genesis because of that very issue in the church in Ephesus. What had happened there, right? Women had taken over responsibilities that had, God had given to the men, right? So it's interesting how this whole story of Esther sort of revolves on that very issue, whether women are going to properly uh, work with their husbands uh, in different roles altogether, uh, in many cases, but still important roles, whether they're going to uh, be submissive or not. And uh, so that's uh, the issue here in the book of Esther. It sort of sets the stage for everything else. God uses a heathen king in a very strange way here uh, to set the stage then for the whole story uh, of Esther. It's an amazing thing, really. Uh, things will develop rapidly after this point. What's the next thing that happens? Uh, well, Esther is orphaned, okay, and she's being raised by her uncle Mordecai. Mordecai is a godly Jew. In fact, he's listed among the leading Jews who were taken in bondage by Nebuchadnezzar. He's listed in the list, okay? And that's listed in Ezra, Ezra chapter 2, uh, verse 2. It says, it makes the list, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, ne ne Nehemiah, Sariah, Realiah, Mordecai, and so forth, okay? So, Mordecai uh, was a young man then, and a godly man. In other words, he was probably older than Daniel, but not by too much, and um, taken in bondage by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, carried into Babylon, and then in due time uh, finds his way in Persia. Okay, And so uh, many Jews uh, were, were exported, as it were, uh, to Persia, probably at the time when the Persians uh, took over uh, the rule of, uh, of Babylon. Okay, uh, so that's how the scene gets set. We've got Mordecai, a godly Jew. His niece uh, is uh, orphaned, and he raises her in a godly way. Well, the next thing that happens is that because uh, the king's wife has been uh, set aside, the king desires another wife. Well, it's worse than that, really, much worse. Uh, he has a large harem, and he requires the young women to be offered up to become part of his harem by rule of law. Okay, you can imagine, this is not a nice thing. This is an evil thing, indeed. And so one of those included in the group is Esther, okay? Um, Okay, I'll read just uh, from Esther chapter 2, verse 8. So it 
came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Sushan the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house, to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. Okay, so well, I think you know how this goes. Uh, Esther is now included amongst the young women uh, in the king's harem. It brings us to the next next section where uh, the real issue develops, which is that uh, and the issue I'm talking about has to do with the uh, preservation of the Jews. Remember, this is the house of Judah and Benjamin that has been captured by Nebuchadnezzar and is now living in uh, Persia. Okay, and it's through that group that the seed of the woman will, of course, ultimately come forth, right? Because that will be through Judah. You remember that was uh, a prophecy given by Jacob on his deathbed. Okay, okay, so we find ourselves now facing this issue as it's revealed here in Esther uh, chapter 3. And uh, Haman uh, is uh, a, a very bad guy. In fact, he, he's a, an Agagite. In other words, the descendants of Agag. And you might remember Agag met his uh, demise uh, by a certain uh, man that we uh, heard about recently. His name was Samuel. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he was uh, taken out by uh, by Samuel. Okay, this man is a descendant of his. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, a very dangerous man indeed, but he's been honored by the king. And uh, what happens is that um, he asks for and is given the authority by the king to destroy all the Jews that live in Persia <laughs> and all the rest of the kingdom. And there, there are 127 provinces under his power, all the way from Egypt to wherever, okay? Uh, so the right to have them all killed was given to by the king to uh, Haman, okay? Uh, Mordecai now, uh, overhears this plot and he uh, reveals it to Esther, okay, who is now in the king's harem. And in fact, she at this point has been selected as his future wife above all the rest, okay? Uh, and uh, so she's in the position, if anyone is in a position of power, she's there, okay? She has the ear of the king all right so haman her uncle uh, reveals to her the plot to destroy all of the jews now she has not revealed that she's a jew to the king okay at her uncle's request okay that brings us down to uh this incredible place here where uh, uh mordecai commands esther that she must now be the one to be the instrument of God in delivering her people, okay? If anyone can do it, she is the one, okay? So, 
Uh, Linda, would you read these great verses for us in Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14? Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? <laughs> That's that great and very memorable uh statement indeed uh, by Mordecai right what faith does Mordecai have he he doesn't have confidence that they will survive but he does have confidence that the nation will be delivered right why does he have such confidence he's a prisoner of hope isn't he <laughs> he knows God will keep his promise but uh, this is the opportunity if there is one uh, to deliver uh, <clears throat> the family <laughs> okay and so um, Esther is uh, thereby commanded, and we read then in uh, verse 16, which is uh, Esther's, Esther's response. Uh, Gail, Esther 4, verse 16. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Jushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. It was illegal to approach the king unless you had been requested. And so she is going to go. Nevertheless, if I perish, I perish. Esther, in a remarkable series you could say she has wisdom far beyond her abilities in all of this, right? The way she communicates her interest and her people's interest to the king under these circumstances is truly a one miracle after another, right? But the end result of it is that Mordecai is going to be honored as the greatest in the kingdom. And the reason is Mordecai had discovered a plot, a coup attempt that was underway against the king. And there were two men involved and Mordecai communicated to Esther who these two men were. And the king learned of the coup that was underway and, and you know, executed these two. And so Mordecai is held high in the king's eyes as a great, great man indeed. And through an interesting series of events, the king gives Esther the ability to set it up in such a way that Mordecai is honored as the greatest in the kingdom. Haman thinks it's going to be him, he himself. He tells his wife, ha, ah, I'm the great man. I'm going to be honored, right? And, uh, and his wife says, uh, she had a sense of foreboding. And Haman's key men also had a sense of foreboding that something was going on here that uh, wasn't going to work out well. And in fact, Thomas chapter 6 and verse 13. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh's wife unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, 
before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shall surely fall before him. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. <clears throat> okay, and indeed, this is what's going to occur. So, uh, Haman is, uh, is defeated uh, here in the course of time, and uh, Mordecai is exalted. Well, as the greatest in the kingdom, Mordecai is made to be the second in command in the kingdom, right? This might remind you of Joseph, right? <laughs> Many years before, God works his miracles to accomplish his great purpose, doesn't he? Okay, well, the problem is still there, it turns out. That's what I said, it was a very intricate story. The problem for the nation of Jews is still there because the king has already given the command that on a certain date, they chose the date by the throwing of the dice, okay, that on that date, all of the Jews are going to be killed. That commandment's already gone out. The way they do things in that kingdom, you cannot withdraw a command once it's gone forth. Okay, so now Esther is allowed to issue a new edict. And that's that every Jew will have the right to defend himself against those that are going to try to be killing them, right? And so on the appointed day, the Jews defend themselves and God gives them the victory. They are victorious and their enemies are all destroyed. In the end, even Haman's sons, so not only Haman, but all of his sons, are, are hung on a gallows that Haman had built for, for Mordecai. <laughs> so the tables were all turned due to the work of God through such a woman as this, and such a man as this, right? What an incredible uh, story this is. God uses the humble and the weak to bring to nothing the mighty, okay? They institute the festival of Purim. Purim, Purim means the dice or the, or, or, you know, the throwing of the dice. Uh, and they institute a, a, a festival in the, the nation there uh, in, in um, Persia, which is still celebrated today every year by the Jews, right? On two days every year. Okay, now what's the rest of the story? You know, there's always more to the story. How can there be more to this story? Well, what more is there to this story? Oftentimes it's hidden and only glimpses, only hints are given and that's the case here. But it turns out that a king arises, Ahasuerus, Esther's husband, will die, and his son will reign. Whose son is it? Esther's son. The son of a Jew is a Jew. Okay? Esther and Ahasuerus's son named Cyrus. And it's, and this goes on and on, the rest of the story. You can read about it in uh, 
Second Chronicles. You can read about it in the book of Daniel. You can read about it in the great prophecies of Isaiah. Okay? Cyrus is mentioned many, many times in the, the Old Testament. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord Jehovah stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so he collects all of the sacred vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken off when he captured Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And he, they were still in a stronghold in Babylon. And so Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, collects them all and puts in place then the plan to not only rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, but to deliver the children of Israel from Persia back into the promised land. And that's all accomplished under Ezra and Nehemiah. That's why we read from Ezra. Okay. Uh, in Isaiah 44, the Lord God says of Cyrus, quote, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. That's the Lord God, Jehovah, speaking about Cyrus, who it sure seems is the son of Esther and therefore himself a Jew, <laughs> right? And then in Isaiah 45, and if you want to really have your mind opened, read all of Isaiah 45. It's all about this very thing. He says there, uh, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, I'm holding his hand, in other words, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before him. And this is all about re-establishing Israel in the land and rebuilding the temple. What a story. Well, so, does the seed of the woman prosper against all odds? It surely does, doesn't it? Satan controls the hearts of many, but not all. God controls the hearts of his own, even the hearts of kings such as Ahasuerus and Cyrus. Praise the Lord for his great mercy and grace. And praise the Lord that uh, the women were right in the center of it. Were they prisoners of hope? They surely were. Did God work through them? He surely did. He still does today. God works through the women. And as Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 
verse 15. Well, amen and praise the Lord. I, this has been a great blessing for me. I hope it's been for you too. And uh, so next uh, week, Lord willing, we begin to look at women in the New Testament. Okay, are there any comments uh, or questions before we close today? Well, there's something I wanted to point out. Uh, amid all the evil we're seeing in our streets, um, it's really satanic. But at the Republican National uh, meeting here, there were just time and time again the subject of life mm-hmm. was mentioned. Yes. And so in all the evil, I saw this light shining. Mm-hmm. This is really the first time we've ever seen life put to, mm-hmm. you know, put forward by the Republican Party like this. And I was mm-hmm. just really encouraged. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was very, very encouraging to see it and um, and to hear it. And these were testimonies, testimonies in most cases given by by people who had been delivered right and into the realm of the light. Yeah. Yeah, it was just like such a such a clear (laughs) distinction between the two. It's almost like God was saying, "Okay, here we are. Choose. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's never been so much difference between the two groups. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just so clearly that God was giving people the opportunity uh, to make a choice. And the choice is clear. Um, so I, I was just very encouraged by what I saw from the Republicans. I've never seen in the background. There's always been so many of us who are pro-life and were fighting for the unborn. But it seemed like we never had any uh, results in the Republican Party that was truly strong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, just, yes. I just really saw the hand of God, you know, all, all week long. Yes, yes. Well, we were privileged to watch it and uh, very thankful for what so many testified and that that will we pray and hope that will affect the hearts of many many throughout the land right yeah if you um missed it or couldn't stay up late enough to watch for example the president's acceptance speech it's all available on c-span just do a search on c-span rnc convention 2020 yeah and there's a very useful website with each of the days, and then a list of each of the speakers in the order in which they spoke. And um, so we we couldn't listen to the president's acceptance speech at 11 o'clock at night. So we watched it the next morning. Yeah. And uh, it's 70 minutes long, and it will really encourage you. I, I would encourage, I would encourage you to um, try to watch it. Yes. Well, that young that young woman that worked had worked in the abortion clinic. Yes. Oh, yeah. Would just bring you to tears. I mean, yeah. it was. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we saw the movie also that was made around that. And, unplanned. Yeah, unplanned is the movie. Her speech at that convention was, I agree, Linda, so moving. Well, I think her speech was more moving than the movie than the movie that was made about her. We all were. Okay, well, thanks, Yolinda. And any other comments? Well, let's uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you for gathering us uh, around these precious uh, words of hope that we read here 
in these sacred pages. So, Father, uh, lay them on our hearts, write them there, that we might stand upon them faithfully, that we also might be raised above our circumstances as your people have been before, that we also might be an instrument of your great power and glory. And I pray that we might be that in our day, Father. Please protect us from the evils that surround us and uh, all those that uh, are dear to us, Father. May they also be be drawn into the sphere of your working in a mighty way uh, that many thanksgivings may go forth. And Father, we pray for our land that we would be uh, redeemed, as it were, our people and our our nation, again, saved from the evils of the uh, the enemy's agenda, which is so visible now. It's so very, very, very visible, and the contrasts are so great between that and uh, that which is right and good. So pray, Father, I do, for again, for our president, that you protect him and encourage him. May he and those that serve with him, and those in every level, because every level of government's important uh, with this upcoming election. Uh, may that which is right and truly good be exalted. And I would ask that, Father, in Christ's name and, and amen.